Welcome back to the History of Cologne, a podcast about the city in today's Western Germany that is over 2000 years old. But until it became what it is today, this old city on the Rhine has endured a colorful and rich past. To quote a tourist guide by Duncan Smith, Cologne might only be Germany's fourth largest city, and overlooked by some visitors in favor of Berlin, Hamburg and Munich, yet it remains the country's most historic. In the last episode of this podcast, we learned how the Romans ruled ancient Cologne. Since Emperor Vitalius and the Batavian Revolt, we had largely refrained from a mere chronological history of events. In this way, I wanted to use the time to discuss fundamental issues. What was the infrastructure of ancient Cologne like? And as mentioned in the last episode, how was such a colony administered, which was located on the edge of the Roman Empire? For this episode, we venture a little bit back into old waters, because with the arrival of the great Roman Trajan, and I hope I pronounced correctly, in Cologne in 98 CE, we dive back into the history of events for this episode. Why? Because Trajan will herald the golden age of the Roman Empire. And this begins where? Exactly. Here, in Cologne. So, stay tuned. But before we jump into the episode, just a very short shout out to Brian Weber, who started supporting me on Patreon. I always struggled with asking for support for this podcast, because this is still a very young podcast. It's just half a year old. So no, I won't make any ads. But if you go on my webpage and you find the link to Patreon and, and you think it's worth contributing to it, well, I will not stop you. But that's it for now. So, did you do what I told you to do? Are you wearing your best togas? Your best dress? Well, let's go to the Cardo Maximus, the main street of Cologne. Because this is where we will meet Trajan, heir to the throne of the Roman Empire in 98 CE. And here is a little confession. In the last episode I called Trajan the governor of Cologne and Lower Germania. That's wrong. He was the governor of Upper Germania. The Lower Germanic governor from that time is not known to us by name, but nevertheless Trajan stayed here in Cologne. As heir to the throne, he had received the authority from Rome to directly administer every province he resided at anyway. This of course includes the Lower Germanic province, with the capital Cologne in the same breath. But still, sorry for that mistake. Trajan's adoptive father, Emperor Nerva, had sent him to the neighboring province of Upper Germania as a man of confidence as governor. Emperor Domitian, who had founded the province of Lower Germania only a few years earlier, had already passed away. For a Roman emperor, Domitian had died a pretty natural death. He had been murdered by a conspiracy of his wife and some members of his own bodyguard two years earlier in 96 CE. The new emperor and now adoptive father of Trajan, Emperor Nerva, was already 66 years old. People in Rome were worried. For that time, this was already a high age. I do not want to lose myself too much in Roman history again. Therefore only this. Since Nerva had no biological son, he adopted Trajan, perhaps forced to by other powerful men in Rome, to do so. And now as a commander of the troops stationed at the Rhine, Trajan was automatically a powerful element in Roman politics. Remember the last episode where we talked about this, 
a significant part of the Roman army was stationed here on the Rhine, so this in brief. And now this mighty man of Rome was here in Cologne. But why had Trajan moved on to Cologne? He was actually the governor of Upper Germania, after all, and its capital was the present city of Mainz in southwest Germany. But Trajan had only been there for a short time. After that he immediately set off north to the neighboring province of Lower Germania and moved into his headquarters in Cologne. And as I said, as heir to the throne and fellow emperor, it was up to him to directly rule every province in the Roman Empire. A military diploma from this time explicitly titles Trajan as commander of the troops in Lower Germania and not the previous governor of the province, because of which we do not know his name. So let's head back to our little mind game, to the Cardo Maximus, the main street in Cologne of December 97 CE January 98 CE when Trajan arrived in Cologne. There, Trajan comes on horseback from the south. Can't you see him? And, of course, he is not alone. Countless envoys among them, friends, advisors, and certainly one or the other bootlicker among them. They are followed by countless servants, slaves, and carts. And especially his bodyguard stands out. Trajan was not surrounded by a Praetorian guard as it had been with every emperor or heir to the throne before him. These men were hand-picked troops that Trajan himself had selected from the legions stationed in the Rhineland. Many of them should later have the inscription CCAA on their gravestones, the abbreviation of the Roman name of Cologne, Colonia, Claudia, Ara, Agrippinensium. So, why did he do that? Well, Trajan was a sly fox. Too often the Praetorians in Rome had decided which ruler should sit on the throne in Rome by murdering the predecessor and announcing the new emperor. They had become a state within the state through their power being the only military force being allowed inside the city of Rome. Remember, Agrippina had also been aware of this and, as empress back in her days, had placed a man loyal to her on the head of the Praetorian Guard. Now, we stand here at the road and see the mighty Trajan riding past us. Wafts of mist surround him, for countless small incense altars had been hastily erected on which sacrifices were made to the gods for the benefit of Trajan. Actually, we should stand still and not leave the fine hierarchical order of the welcome procession, but let us be free to follow Trajan a little along his way. Coming from the south, because Rome is in the south and the city of Mainz is in the south, he might have passed through the city gate near the Ubia monument, which we covered in an earlier episode. After entering the city, he immediately made a detour into a side street not far from the city wall. He went up to the Capitoline Hill, and yes, that was really the name of the hill, after the famous hill in Rome. There stood a temple dedicated to the main gods of the colony, and as a Roman colony, I have now said it umpteen times. Cologne was a direct copy of Rome in terms of rights and honor. So it is not surprising that the temple was dedicated to Jupiter, Juno and Minerva. By the way, that Capitol Hill still exists in Cologne. Unfortunately, it is a bit remote due to the car traffic, although it is located in the middle of today's city center. Until today, a temple is enthroned there, but now in a form of the Catholic Church that is more than 2,000 years old. But in its name, it still carries the Roman heritage. The name of the church is St. Mary on the Capitol. 
but we will get to the church in the course of this podcast for sure. Here, in the then still pagan temple, Trajan thanked for the safe arrival and asked the gods for their favor. After performing this religious act, Trajan returned to the Cardo Maximus, and while he strolls along this main street of Cologne, we should take the time to look left and right of the street. The so-called Cardo Maximus was actually called Strata Lapidea in Cologne, which is Latin for paved street, but in its function it still served as the main street, so I will stay with the term Cardo Maximus. That is the name the Romans always called their main street going from the north to the south. At that time, this street was almost directly located at the Rhine, or close to the Rhine island that still existed at that time. This Rhine island was a natural harbor that Agrippa found so practical at the time he had been around to resettle the Ubi to Cologne. Now, almost 150 years later, in the year 198 CE, the island may have already been silted up, as the Romans used it directly as a wild dump. Only the Praetorium was therefore located between the Cardo Maximus and the city wall located on the Rhine side. I will post a picture of a city model of ancient Cologne on my homepage, thehistoryofcologne.wordpress.com, so you can get a clear view of that. But with the warning, however, that this picture shows a Cologne that only looked like this 200 years later. From the layout, however, the city already looked like this at the end of the first century. But the bridge over the Rhine, for example, did not yet exist in 1980 CE, which you can see on the picture I'm going to post on my homepage. Nor did the fort on the other side of the Rhine exist. But again, I have advanced too far again. Well, we will get to that all in quite some time. The Cardo Maximus runs straight from the southern city gate, very close to the Ubia monument and the Capitol Hill, straight north, parallel to the Rhine. It ends, of course, in the north gate of the city wall. Going all the way up north, this street, of course, ends in the north gate of the city wall of Roman Cologne. You can still see the place today. If you stand now, in the year 2020, if you stand directly in front of the main portal of the Cologne Cathedral, you are practically standing in the north gate of the Roman city wall. If you then turn left towards the north, where you can see the luxury hotel Excelsior, you can even see the remains of a side entrance from the Roman north gate on a small staircase that has been remodeled there. It, it is really real. It is 2,000 years old. You can touch it, but don't hurt it or I get you. But there... It is offset a few meters from its original place, which is in front of the main portal of the Cologne Cathedral. The Cologne Cardo Maximus was mostly 7 to 8 meters or yards wide. For today's big city conditions, this is not wide at all, I know, but even the eternal city of Rome back in the day hardly had any roads that were wider back then. Often the streets in Rome were so narrow that one could hardly walk next to each other. In Roman Cologne, this is different. The streets are laid out like a chessboard, with streets crossing each other in right angles, similar to many modern American cities with grid layouts. People with OCD must have felt really comfortable here. On this one main street to the second other main street we come in our next episode, almost all critical infrastructure for the supply of the city was accommodated. Even though the legions mostly camped outside Cologne, 
and even in other places such as today's Bonn or Neuss, numerous military utility buildings were located here. Warehouses, smiths, administrative buildings, soldiers' quarters, toilets, stables, etc. This sounds pretty much like everything that is actually known for a modern military barracks. Here on the Cardo Maximus, one was virtually in the middle of the city center, the safest place to be in case of an attack on the city. Thus, it is not surprising that half along the way on the Cardo Maximus, we also come across the already several times mentioned Praetorium, the governor's palace. Several granaries at the roadside of the Cardo Maximus ensured that the city could withstand a siege by enemies for about two years. This might have been probably the result of the painful experience of the Batarian Revolt. Or maybe I digress, because Romans were masters in logistics anyway. Of course, the Cardo Maximus was well connected to the fresh water network of our big waterline we talked about several episodes before. And somewhere along this route must have been the Forum of Roman Cologne, the marketplace. But sadly, it has not been found yet, let alone excavated until today. It is quite possible that also the ravages of time or later reconstruction measures in Cologne, perhaps in the Middle Ages, have irrevocably destroyed all evidence of the Forum in Cologne. Again, I do not want to spoil too much, but the Cardo Maximus in Cologne is one of the oldest continuous roads in an urban center north of the Alps in Europe. And through many errors and confusion in human history, this road has almost 100% retained its previous course. Today's road level is a few meters higher than the one of the Roman times. But of course, this is the case in all places where a permanent settlement one always builds on the layers of the previous time. And I'm not telling you this for nothing. If you live in or have been to Cologne as a tourist or visitor, you have been to the Cardo Maximus for sure. Because this Cardo Maximus is no less than the Hohe Straße, High Street, in modern Cologne, one of Germany's most popular shopping streets. It is car-free for over 50 years now, and a beautiful pedestrian zone. So remember that name, Hohe Straße, because this road will certainly come across several times during our podcast. If there's one street in Cologne that is most historically significant, it is the Hohe Straße, the high street. Well, well, we have been looking left and right for almost too long now, looking at those buildings I listed up. We are almost losing Trajan out of sight. We better hurry and try to keep up with him and his entourage. Halfway along the route, Trajan turns right towards the Rhine and enters the Praetorium to the applause of the Decurians, remember the city senate members of Cologne, and the former governor of Lower Germania, who is not known to us, applauds also. What now follows is a quotation from the Cologne Museum about the Praetorium, because I could not have put it better. Quote, the Praetorium was the official seat of the governor in the capital Cologne of the Rome province of Lower Germania. It was the most important official building of the city and the most important Roman palace on the Rhine. The Praetorium was and remained the center of a planned development and settlement of the city and region and can therefore be described as the political, administrative birthplace of the whole region. End quote. The Praetorium, as already mentioned, had undergone several modifications in its centuries-long history of use. 
therefore the Praetorium, which we could visit in the future, you and me, when the reconstruction work of the museum is finished, is the building from the late antiquity, thus approximately 200 or 300 years later. So this is not the same Praetorium we are talking about right now. The Praetorium in total never completely disappeared from the cityscape, because interestingly enough, the building seems to have been completely intact even after the end of the Roman rule on the Rhine in the 5th century. In the end, the end of the Praetorium was not man-made. But why should I spoil this now? We'll get to that when we are chronologically ready with our podcast. Just be patient for the 5th century. But for our time, now in 98 CE, it's quite possible that even then there was an extensive courtyard between the actual governor's building and the Cardo Maximus, much like the classic courtyards from the Mediterranean with roofing at the edges to protect it against heat, or in the Rhineland more likely against rain. Perhaps there were also galleries and gardens on the Rhine side in the east. But for this time that has not been passed down for sure. We had already described the Petroleum in its dimensions. It was very wide, but not very deep, about 60 meters slash yards wide and only a few meters slash yards deep. But back to our honorable guest from Rome. When Trajan enters the building, he finds an interior design typical of classic imperial furnishing. The walls are richly painted and decorated, but there are also rooms with marble walls and floor coverings. Sculptures of emperors and gods will have stood here and there, and the ground was covered with mosaics in part. Maybe it really looked like Pilates' palace in Monty Python's Life of Brian, with the filmistic par excellence that all monumental films about antiquity or ancient Rome make. Even today's series about antiquity still do that. All the marble statues back then were colorfully painted, also, the temples and buildings made of marble or wood back then were colorfully painted. That we find them today so cold, clinically white and bland is due to the time. The paint simply flaked off after 2000 years. Anyone who has a garden fence knows that one has to paint his fence with new paint every now and then. After his arrival at the Praetorium, good Trajan will have eaten something good first. So. Let him first arrive in peace and relax from the journey. We come back a few days later. But getting away from the Praetorium now is not so easy. Countless people line the street. All of them eager to see the heir to the Roman throne, of course. Who could blame them? Most of the people in this city will probably never again see a future or incumbent Roman emperor in person. But not all of them wear Roman clothes or the Celtic Germanic clothes worn here by many Romans as well, which are much better in these climatic regions. We meet many faces that are foreign to us. It is true that Rome Cologne was already a colorful mixture of peoples. Apart from Italians, often veterans of the legions, our beloved Ubians and other Germanic tribes lived here, and a large number of Gauls stayed here as well. Merchants who traveled all over the empire also brought a touch of cosmopolitanism with them. Now, however, whole streams of people came from all over the ancient world of the Mediterranean. Envoys from the Danube region, from Central Eastern Europe, for example. People in their traditional clothes from North Africa or ambassadors from the Middle East. 
In addition to their external differences, they also brought their languages and religions with them to the small and young city on the Rhine. They too wanted to see the future emperor. For the former emperor Nerva is considered weak, with hardly any support in Rome. Trajan, in turn, with the power of the legions on the Rhine, is considered now the rising star in the empire. Our young city on the Rhine is practically exploding in population now. Restaurants, pensions and of course sex workers are doing the business of a lifetime. Cologne is, even if only for the duration of Trajan's stay, quasi the second capital of the Roman Empire in the year 98 CE. So in this year, in 98 CE, Roman Cologne did not look so dissimilar to today's Cologne in terms of cultural diversity. And this situation should become even more serious because we are time travelers. But while Trajan is making himself comfortable in Cologne, his adoptive father Nerva dies in Rome. Naturally, a rare event in ancient Rome. And of course it takes a while until the news reach Cologne. It takes 1600 kilometers to drive to Rome by car alone these days. By that time, there was no winter road clearance, and the Brenner Pass, which brings many tourists over the Alps to Italy every year, was only a narrow mountain pass and totally covered in snow. So the messengers had to take their way across the Rhone Valley, a big detour, a real detour westwards into today's southern France to avoid the Alps. Nevertheless, we can assume that it must not have taken longer than 14 days until the news reached Cologne. After all, the news of the death of an emperor was not a trivial matter. Monarchies that are not based on constitutions and only focus on the ruling person are by nature very vulnerable when the ruler dies. Would the transfer of power to the next person go smoothly? In the case of Nero's death, for example, we know the answer. Four emperors, Vitalius, etc., you know the story. But as I said, news of the emperor's death had to reach the heir to the throne quickly, so he could install himself into power. The news of Nerva's death quickly arrived in the province of Upper Germania, which directly bordered the Alps in the south and the territory of Cologne and the province of Lower Germania in the north. In the Upper German provincial capital, today's Mainz, a senatorial military tribune finally heard the news and immediately set off to travel to the neighboring province to get the news to Trajan. His name was Hadrian, and he had been under the guardianship of Trajan as a child. Follow me along as a time traveler again. Let us go back to the Cologne Praetorium. Hadrian and his entourage stand before the new emperor Trajan, completely overtired and exhausted. For Hadrian naturally wanted to be the first to deliver the message and had spared no effort. What the people of Cologne in this particular moment did not realize, here in Cologne, in the Praetorium, stood not only the new emperor, but also the future emperor. But even Hadrian did not know that, that he was going to be Trajan's successor at that time. Trajan would rule for another two decades and lead Rome into a golden age which his successor, Hadrian, and the other successors would continue. Why? Well, that's debatable. Trajan, Hadrian, and their successors all had something in common. They were not biological children or direct relatives of their predecessors. They all had been adopted by the previous emperor. Therefore, 
One could say, on the one hand, that the new emperor was no longer decided by the direct bloodline, but only by his abilities. Or, and this would be the other side, Rome had only been lucky with the adopted emperor several times in a row, regarding the abilities of these emperors. We'd better go back to Cologne. Trajan is now the new emperor, and where's the emperor? There's Rome. Deployments of the troops stationed in Roman Germania hurried to Cologne and showed their loyalty to the new emperor and claimed him as the new commander-in-chief. Not surprising, the new emperor gave them, his soldiers, the donative, the corresponding donation of money which was demanded from the troops by the emperor in gratitude for their new pledged loyalty. Remember, in the year of the four emperors, Emperor Galba did not do that with the troops on the Rhine and so they rebelled and proclaimed Vitellius as the new emperor. Trajan was smart and paid them. And of course Trajan had made sure as soon as possible that the coins also bore his face that he issued. So everyone would soon know that he was the new man in charge, wherever the coin got to. It is therefore not surprising that archaeologists, especially in Cologne and the colony area, have found many coins with Trajan's portrait on them. Now, once again, all the people of Cologne must have tried to pay their respect to the new emperor. One simply had to take the chance. I find it completely understandable. At the top, of course, the members of the city senate did so. The decurions, the two duumviri, sorry I used the German pronunciation in the last episode instead of the English. Of course, there were still enough inhabitants who remembered a similar event 30 years earlier, when Vitellius became emperor while he was governor in Lower Germania. Things were different this time. Even though Trajan had been adopted by Emperor Nerva, the Romans were liberal on this subject. Whoever was adopted was legally completely the natural son of his adoptive father, as if he had been the real father. The new son took the name of the new father and all the rights and duties of a natural son. Vitellius, on the other hand, had usurped the throne without visible legitimation. He had only the power of his troops. Trajan had the power of his troops and political and legal legitimacy regarding the terms of his time. The elevation of Trajan to emperor was celebrated like crazy in Cologne. In all temples of the city, whether Roman, Gallic, Germanic or other, sacrifices were made for the salvation of the new emperor. Trajan himself would certainly have paid for all the banquets and street festivals, games such as chariot races and gladiator fights in the city. As the new emperor, entertaining the people was expected. Cologne must have been a huge overpopulated party city in February of the year 98 CE. But then of course, the government business started pretty quickly. Never forget, the Roman Empire was not a centrally governed state. Whether it was a state in the modern sense at all is open to doubt, anyway. Cologne and the province of Lower Germania itself are an example of this. Yes, the emperor stated who was in charge at the very top of the province, but what happened at regional and municipal level was entirely decided within the framework of self-governance by the local elites, as we learned last episode. To compare these numbers, the Modern city of Cologne alone today has 19,000 employees in its administration with a population of just 1 million. Among them are of course not only administrative officials but also kindergarten teachers, librarians, museum employees, etc. The Roman imperial court at that time might just have had for the whole empire 
at that time not even more than a few thousand members. And we are talking about an empire that went from Atlantic to Iraq, from Scotland to present-day Sudan. Nevertheless, these few thousand servants, most high-ranking Romans from the centuria and knightly classes, represented a large number of additional people in the city. Before Trajan, we can estimate that 10 to 15,000 people might have lived in Cologne at that time. With all their envoys from all parts of the empire, delegations of legions and the imperial servants, we can assume that the number of inhabitants has soared quite rapidly in the city. Now, Trajan could certainly have had new houses built for all these people that had come here with him. But of course, this was not possible at such short notice. And the emperor did not plan to stay here forever. So, many of the imperial servants were accommodated in the houses of the citizens of Cologne, especially in those of the upper class of Cologne. They had the space and above all the standard of living that the high-ranking officials from Rome did not want to miss here. The accommodation in the houses of the people of Cologne might have been a small disadvantage to have the emperor directly on site. One could also gain a valuable ally by hosting a respective high-ranking guest from Rome with good connections to the emperor in the best possible way. The right to hospitality was very pronounced, especially among the Romans. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. As far as government business is concerned, we can no longer reconstruct much of the day-to-day -day political decisions, but Trajan probably invested a lot in infrastructure. Forts in Lower Germania were overhauled, roads were repaired and peace was negotiated with Germanic tribes that have been on the other side of the Rhine, who had repeatedly tried to invade Roman territory in recent years. This must have been a blessing for the people of Cologne. War was always bad for business, except for the war profiteers, of course. And trades with Germanic tribes on the other side of the Rhine was important for Cologne. The Romanized Germans in Cologne and the surrounding area, like our beloved Ubians, wanted to trade as citizens of Rome in peaceful existence with their tribal comrades on the right side of the Rhine, not be at war with them. Trajan did not stay in Cologne forever. He built up his power here in short time and made sure that the border on the Rhine was secure enough to move on. Trajan left that same year. Germania was now pacified and should remain so for quite some time. A period of prosperity began in the region of Cologne, similar like the peace that had been established in the rest of the whole empire. The enemies were now in the Danube area, far away from Rome, far away from Cologne. We do not exactly know when Trajan left Cologne, but it should have happened in the summer of 98 at the latest. For the people of Cologne this should have been an extensive experience. For some months they had been the center of the empire, a cosmopolitanism like never before had been present in a young city during this time. Cologne had been an important colony and city on the northern edge of the Roman Empire after all, but Trajan's stay here had ensured that now really everyone of rank and name in the empire knew the city of Cologne. And the inns, brothels and pensions in Cologne had certainly made a mint of money. You could build on that. At the end of the first century, the golden age of Roman Cologne began. No Germanic invasions, no local Roman governors who wanted to start civil wars. Finally. Let's end here this time. Perhaps we need some relaxation now after all the turmoil the Emperor Trajan has caused with his presence in our city. And what is the best way to relax? 
How do you chill and clear your mind? By taking a walk, of course. So I would be pleased to invite you to a little walk through and around Rome Cologne in the next episode. Sure, you know the main street, the Cardo Maximus now well enough, but there's still so much to discover in the side streets and in the surrounding area. I am looking forward to seeing you there. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Dankeschön und auf Wiedersehen. Musik